Good morning. <laughs> My brothers and sisters of the garden, what an honor and at the same time a, a very humbling experience to uh, stand before you a second time uh, to bring forth the word of God. Uh, is a great weight like none other I've ever known, uh, but at the same time, God is able. And, uh, yeah. So the last time I preached, Montreal was like, the sermon was good. It's like, but you flew, Pastor. You flew through the whole thing. He's like, so take your time. So if I happen to talk like this <laughs> the entire time, Thank you, Montreal. <laughs> All right, if you would, uh, let's see. Let, let us pray first. Let us pray. All right. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, we come before you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for speaking to us through your word, Lord. Uh, we just pray that you would wrestle with us this morning. My prayer is that you would soften hearts, that you allow your love to pierce and penetrate souls, Lord, that lives will be changed, restored, and renewed. I pray that we will be compelled to spread your gospel even more than we are now. In Christ's name, amen. All right, so if you would turn to me to, oh, so Paul has Bibles in the back in case anybody need one. Just raise your hand and he can bring you one. Turn with me to Acts 20, verses 17 through 38. Acts 20, 17 through 38. Never too saved to look in a table of contents, so uh, let's go ahead and do your thing. <clears throat> all right, if you all are ready, it reads... Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all, all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as, as precious to myself, if only I may find my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of grace, of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all 
For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you and, spare, and not sparing the flock. And from, among you, and, and, from, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, before, therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease, night or day, to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I've shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus. How he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed Paul, being sorrowful most of all because the, words, because the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Amen. That's the end of my sermon. Like, no, I'm joking. All right. So as I was studying this, I was amazed by the dedication Paul had to Jesus and Jesus' message of reconciliation. During this time of study with this particular passage of Scripture, I had the opportunity to take a closer look at Paul's life after his conversion. And my God, instantly, my fears concerning evangelism became minuscule. He literally spent the rest of his life on the road unashamedly preaching the gospel no fear of man, baptizing and establishing churches from city to city in Asia and Europe. Not only that, but it was, with mixed, it was mixed with affliction and persecution, hate and love, chains and imprisonment, up until the point when he was decapitated in Rome. Talk about a life dedicated to Jesus. I mean, all of my experiences with evangelism or with this Christian walk in general no longer seem like a big deal. Not one of them. Not because they weren't a big deal, but because my faith that God is able to bring me through tougher times had increased. I went from believing that God is our strength and can do the impossible because of what he's done in my life to God is our strength. He can do the impossible because of what he's done in the life of Apostle Paul. A life where God's hand is at work should do that for those who have the privilege to consistently witness it. That's why I'm so blessed to be able to do life with this local body, the Garden Church. I mean, I tell you, since my wife and I joined this local assembly, our faith in God has increased. And what we only knew as head knowledge, we began to know as heart knowledge because of the reality of it displayed in your lives. The reality that God is great and takes care of his people. What a privilege it is. So getting back to the text. Get back to the text. Uh, during Paul's work at Ephesus in the last chapter, a riot, so the last chapter uh, before the one we just read, a riot had broke out at one of Paul's stops on his third uh, missions journey. Paul had just denounced the man-made gods, including the ancient Greek goddess Artemis. 
This shows Paul's faithfulness to the message of truth and unwillingness to compromise. Artemis was a goddess prominent in Ephesus. The riot, of course, was carried out by those who did not want to turn to her and ended up literally dragging two of Paul's travel companions with them in the riot. After the riot calmed, Paul traveled some more here and there, preaching the gospel and doing other phenomenal things like raising a young man named Eutychus from the dead who fell asleep and uh, fell out of a window and died after he had fell asleep in fellowship. So I'm just looking around, making sure everybody is good. Now at Miletus, an ancient Greek city, Paul sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to him, which is what we see in this passage. As the scriptures testify, Paul was burdened by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem for a while, which means he would be leaving Ephesus where he wrote letters to the Corinthians and Galatians. This meant he, was, he would no longer see the elders and he would have to break the news to them. And in his speech to the elders, we see Paul not bragging on himself, but using himself as an example to encourage the elders in their work. He spoke of his consistency in preaching, preaching a whole message and not uh, only in parts. Uh, he spoke of his heart to spread the news to both Jew and Gentile. He spoke of his sensitivity to the spirit of God regarding God's will for his life, which at the moment was for him to go to Jerusalem. Then we see Paul reminding the elders to pay careful attention to themselves and the flock, taking care of it, for God had made them overseers. Here's where we find the Apostle Paul's heart for evangelism. I want to pull on Paul today as an example. I want, you, I want to talk to you today from the subject matter, when comfortable Christianity meets the cost of evangelism. Paul was no self-seeking man. He was humble. He spoke as to be understood, not to wow. A powerful preacher who knew that his power didn't come from his words or his wits, but from his message. Profitable, yet painful, for he understood that the gospel message is a testimony for those who receive it and a testimony against those who, reject, who rejected it. Growing up in church during a time where I was still an unbeliever, there was one thing besides witnessing blatant hypocrisy that lied to me about the message of Christ. And let me just put this disclaimer in now. This eventually became me for about four years. If it wasn't witnessing others with the ability to serve Satan Saturday night and then sing praises Sunday morning, then it was their ability to invest three hours on a Sunday morning to the dying neighborhood in which their church was built and one hour on a, on a Wednesday night, confined by brick and mortar, except for the occasional one hour some Saturdays passing our tracks. And then after seeing them have an amazing time in worship, seeing them go right back to being consumed with work, family, friends, and school, comfortable Christianity. It often interferes with Christianity. It often interferes with evangelism. Such freedoms and luxuries as time and comfort clash with our God-given commission. Consider this one. Let's say you have a nice church home with nice church family, accountability, sound teaching, etc., and you just stop there. You don't tell anybody else about your faith, not on purpose, but because you've gotten comfortable with, with what God is doing in your life at the moment. My brothers and sisters, I present to you the Apostle Paul to remind you that God did not call us to comfortable Christianity. 
Church, there are three things I want to remind you that the Spirit calls us to this morning. First thing is, the Spirit compels us to go. The Spirit compelled Paul to go to Jerusalem when he bid the elders farewell, in verse 22, as it compelled him to go to the many other cities which he traveled. Verse 22 says, And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit. The NIV version reads, Compelled by the Spirit. And with that same purpose, we too are called and compelled to go. Now, by go, I don't necessarily mean to travel far and wide, as the Apostle Paul was called to do. For, in, for, for that is a very specific calling given to those uh, in the God-given time. But there is a calling that is common to the believer. The call to testify to the goodness of God. So if you don't know your purpose, this is it. Let this be the foundation and heart for all that you do in life. Evangelism is not just a task God compelled Paul to do. He compels all those who believe in his name to evangelize. Well, you may say, I don't necessarily feel that I'm called to share the good news. I don't know. I don't, I don't think I have the right speech or, or maybe I, I, I fear. I don't feel it. We live in a society where we have to wait for a sign in order to act. I feel like I can sing, so maybe I'll just sing. I, I feel like I can act, so maybe I'll do some acting. At this moment, I feel like taking up law, so I'll study law. Family, those are God-given options, the grace of God and free will. This isn't an option, but this is a command. Acts, 17, 30, uh, Acts 13, 47 says, For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Mark 16, 15 says, He said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Psalm 105 says, Give praise to God, give praise to the Lord, proclaim his name, make known among the nations what he has done. Expecting persecution Paul didn't leave Asia for fear of persecution. Knowing trouble lied ahead, he resolved to go on anyway, well aware that his going was by divine direction. Your family, your friends, your workplace with wisdom, wherever God has placed you at this time in your life is the divine direction for your life. Now go. Number two, Spirit calls us to adversity. Uh, uh, Paul experienced extreme adversity, including imprisonment, affliction, and ultimately being beheaded. It's likely that we may never experience anything close to what Paul experienced, but that doesn't mean our affliction won't be hard. Results such as the loss of a friendship, family relationship, a job or job opportunity, significant other, being viewed as the enemy, the weird one or my favorite, the one who thinks they're better than everybody else, these are familiar to those who are doing the will of the Father. Matthew 10.22 lets us know that we will be hated because of Jesus. Psalm 10.2 lets us know that the wicked hotly pursues us. Psalm 119, 161, that is a long heading for a scripture, lets us know that when our hearts are in awe of God, the world is angered at us. John 17, 14 lets us know that it is because we are not of them any longer. People hate it when others are not with them or, or not with them any longer. People will go to, to great lengths 
Just look at Joseph and Potiphar's wife, David and King Saul, Judas and Jesus, Kevin Durant and OKC. That was a little NBA illusion. Let me just... But seriously, it's not that the unconverted heart hated, hates when the converted heart is no longer like theirs, but when the light is around darkness, the darkness gets exposed. And because apart from Christ, we are so desperately wicked, we can't stand to see our own wickedness. I mean, it makes sense. We like feeding our flesh, but we don't like it being cut. Pain versus pleasure. And we, the church, get persecuted because we are bringing a message that first has to cut people before it heals them. And people don't like, uh, 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 okay, so it has to show you how ugly you are before it makes you beautiful. And people don't like being told that they are ugly. So they will persecute you for for it before you can even get to tell them that Christ is the foundation that makes them beautiful. Nevertheless, be encouraged. For it is the Holy Spirit that binds us to our mission. Uh, uh, It is the Holy Spirit that keeps us and protects us in adversity. Expecting persecution and affliction, the love of Christ constrains us to proceed. For it is the will of God, for it is the business of our lives to suffer well. The third thing, lastly, is the Spirit of God is calling us to have an eternal mindset. We cannot turn who we are off. We just can't do that. But somehow we allow two factors, which just so happen to be on both ends of the spectrum, to turn who we are off. Comfort and then fear. The fact that people are being lied to by Satan, who's saying that the goodness of God isn't good enough, dying and then going to hell forever, and we have tasted and seen that God is as good as good gets and that the kingdom citizen and that kingdom citizenship is their only hope our being should be consumed with ministry we should be intentional in all that we do conversation fun joking working serving if you can think of it you can be intentional with it or how you respond to it for this is who we are second corinthians 5:20 says we are ambassadors for christ God, making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We understand that this place is not our home. With things in perspective, Paul understood that adversity just comes. But that did not sway him. He he remained consistent and did not compromise. He preached the entire message faithfully. He stuck to the message and the mission. He was dedicated and was above reproach and was willing to die for a message worth dying for. 1 Peter 3.15 tells us to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks, who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Romans 10.17 says, consequently, faith comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word of Christ. We expect people to just come to Christ based on how we live. We want them to believe the gospel. We just don't want to share it with them. It's either that, uh, it's either that or that we are waiting for some Hollywood-style experience with evangelism. Shift your point of reference from Hollywood to Holy Bible. What Hollywood may view as ideal is not what the Bible views as ideal. Evangelism takes God's timing and God's strategy. 
A reminder and a charge for those uh, moving and for those who may be listening that have already moved, stay mission-minded. Don't get lax because our adversary is working overtime against us through other religions, misrepresentations of Christ, race wars leading to talk about, uh, race wars leading to talk about Christianity being the religion of the oppressor. For the church, this message that we are compelled to share uh, uh, that attracts adversity and that sets our eyes above uh, is for us what breath is to the body. If you're an unbeliever, I'm glad that you're here today, but I must warn you, this message is one of fear and judgment for you. Unless you turn from Satan's lie, uh, the lie that God isn't good enough and that you can somehow find fulfillment elsewhere, turn and see Christ as the one who is as glorious as it gets for he died that you might live, rose that you may believe, and is waiting for you to trust him today. Today, if you hear his voice, heart not your heart. The gospel of social activism and self-improvement is not one worth dying for. The gospel of following your dreams is not worth dying for. The gospel of merely having spiritual conversations is not worth dying for. The gospel of seeking your own happiness is not worth dying for. The gospel of self-esteem is not worth dying for. The gospel of political correctness is not worth dying for. The gospel of feel-goodism is not worth dying for, but it is only the message of Jesus Christ that is worth risking everything for, for by it we are saved. My fear is that we do more gospel proclamation in one day, Sunday, in the theologically rich songs we sing, in the scriptures we read and word we hear, than the rest of the entire week combined. We focus a lot of energy on how to evangelize those we don't know when we leave church and spend the rest of our week with the same unsaved people God created, like you and me. They're God's creation too. We see them every day, many of which we've known our entire lives and never even had a gospel conversation with. But we pray for opportunities to evangelize. We should be walking boomboxes. My wife and I had the opportunity to campaign this past year with our brother here at the garden who's away teaching in New Orleans, Fred Curtis. Fred was the campaign manager for John Bullock who, was, who ran for city councilman and won. It was an amazing experience and a historical one for Baltimore. Under Fred's management, John Bullock was able to put the long-standing Welch family out of office. So kudos to Fred and sorry to Welch. Election day, there was a truck driving around the district, including, uh, uh, including the voting sites, campaigning for John Bullock. He had to have been driving no more than 10 miles per hour with about three loudspeakers on the top of the truck. Uh, uh, you know, you know when, when he was coming from blocks away. Vote for John Bullock. You need a new face to make change, blah, blah, blah. I, whatever it said, he was just going, right? And you know it's election day. Different campaigners line up outside of schools and offices where you vote. Don and I witnessed the other camp. <laughs> they was hot. <laughs> we witnessed the other campaigners making calls and just pasting back and forth and complaining. 
We expected the driver to shut down the operation, but the driver, still driving 10 miles per hour, was not discouraged just because other campaigners for other candidates complained. We should be like that driver. Other religions are campaigning for the souls of your family. False gods are campaigning for the soul of your best friend. Drugs are campaigning for the soul of your brother. Sex is campaigning for the soul of your daughter. The world's corrupt idea of a man is campaigning for the souls of your sons. Drunkenness and partying is campaigning for the soul of your cousin. And the harsh reality is, is that if we don't tell them about the man who holds the office already, they will be uh, 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 confused and, and misled into letting an unqualified imposter rule their district. We don't, campaign, we don't campaign as if our campaigning will determine if the Holy Spirit will win them over. But because the Holy Spirit is the one who does the winning, we campaign. Christ is already in office. What hinders us sometimes is trying to find the right opportunity. Emphasis on all three, find, right, and opportunity. Just pay close attention. Pray, prayer for opportunities is always a great way to find opportunity, and sometimes our prayers uh, uh, shouldn't be for a new opportunity, but for the eyes to spot the opportunity already there, accompanied by the boldness and the wisdom to, wis- to, to witness effectively. You know why Jesus was so successful at finding the right opportunity? Because he worried more about reconciliation than he worried about reputation. Jesus valued the reconciliation of the individual to the father than his reputation to the individual. And in doing so, was obeying the command we read earlier to love thy neighbor as yourself. Imagine if Christ would have focused on his reputation more than his mission. Let's take a quick second to imagine. All right, you're done. We would be crushed. There would be no hope if Christ would have held what they thought of him over what he could do for them. He would have chosen to come to, he wouldn't have chosen to come to earth lowly and to live lowly. He wouldn't have hung out with the poor and broken. He wouldn't have gotten on the cross to begin with. And if he did, he would have saved himself and not us. Come down. You asking me if I can come down? Now, it's nothing wrong with caring about your reputation. Ecclesiastes 7.1 tells us that a good reputation is more than costly perfume. But Jesus knew that if he made his reputation an idol, then he failed. What's beautiful is that despite him dying on the cross as a blasphemous, lying lunatic to some, today we, the church, know him anyway as the most faithful and upright one to ever grace the earth with his presence and message. So my brothers and sisters, I implore you, We should fight and pray to look more like Christ. God bless you. Let us pray. Thank you, Montreal. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, today uh, we understand why uh, Jesus spent most of his time all of his time spreading the word, Lord God. 
for it is what is necessary. It is, it is your means, us opening our mouths and speaking the gospel is your means of saving souls here, Lord God. We pray that you would touch our hearts and help us to acknowledge the call to go, realize that as believers, we will face adversity, but it is, G- it is, it is your spirit that protects us and that we should be ministry-minded and have an eternal mindset. In Christ's name we pray, amen.